Chapter Ten of David Ransom's Watch by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten: An Interrupted Story. So your watch went to India that time," said the minister. "What became of it next?" David Ransom bent himself nearly double in laughter. "How did you know there was a next time?" he asked. "But there was. There were dozens of 'em." why the very next time it was home missions that was queer too wasn't it you see i had kind of felt sorry afterwards about its all going for foreign missions it seemed like going back on mother she was great for home missions mother was she and father used to argue it some not that he was ever against them in the world but he was a little mite more interested in the foreign part mother used to say don't you know, David, our orders were to begin at Jerusalem? Oh, yes, says father. That's all right, but it doesn't say stay there. So they always ended by dividing up, and it made me feel kind of sorry that we didn't. But I never said a word about it, not even to my wife. My feeling about it was that it was over and done, and there wasn't any use in making others uncomfortable with fussing over it. Well, we went on for about a year and a half, and all sorts of things happened to hinder us from getting our watch money together. Watches went up, too. I couldn't hear of a good one for less than fifteen dollars. It seemed a great deal to pay, just for a watch, and I guess I should have given it up for good if it hadn't been for mother here. She kept it going in her mind, was sort of set on it, you know, and kept saving up in all sorts of odd little ways that she didn't think I'd notice, and of course I had to try to help her, and at last we had it again. My eyes! I remember that morning that she dropped the last nickel into the stocking, as well as though it were yesterday. Now, says she, as she tied up the stocking foot, there tis, and mind you, don't go to giving it this time for any thank-offering, or any other kind of offering. Them was her very words. I was to go to town the next day but one. I couldn't go the next day because we had promised to go out to Deacon Potter's for dinner. You don't know Deacon Potter? His folks all moved away the year before you come out here. A terrible loss it was to the neighborhood, too, and the church. We've had dreadful losses in the church, Pastor, right along. It isn't any wonder we were all discouraged when you came out here and began to preach to us. Seems to me if I was a minister and had done as much good in a few months as you have here, I should most have to stay and see it go on. But my church is waiting for me in the east, brother, said the minister, a note of sadness and half-regret in his voice. David Ransom heaved a great sigh. So tis, he said. I keep forgetting that, and I suppose you've got to go. I suppose we couldn't keep you anyhow, but it's the biggest heartache we've had to let go of you. His faded blue eyes swam in tears as he spoke, and the minister felt his own eyes grow suddenly dim. He made haste to bring his host back to the story. You were going to tell me about the dinner party. Oh, yes, at Deacon Potter's. Why, Mrs. Potter had a sister who married a home missionary, and her niece, the sister's daughter, was visiting them. 
she had been teaching in a mission school away off in the mountains and mrs potter thought mother and me would like to hear her tell about it so they asked us to come to dinner well of all the talkers we have ever heard in our lives that young woman could beat them you remember her mother stories my eyes and we kept her at it before dinner and after dinner and for supper and along late in the evening we just had stories about those mountain girls and boys you ought to have been there pastor you like stories so well and she could tell them something like i can imagine your interest said the minister she was teaching among the mountain whites i suppose there is no mission field that to me is more full of thrilling interest than that isn't it wonderful i had missed it all somehow found i didn't know anything about their schools and the stories she told about how they lived and worked and scraped and saved just to get chances to learn to read and write great big boys you know and girls almost men and women and not knowing how to write even why it scared me it actually did pastor i felt as though i was to blame somehow for letting such things be maybe i felt it a little more because i had always wanted chances myself father never knew how hard it was for me to give up school and go to work of course he didn't it would have been mean if he had he couldn't help it you see and of course i didn't let on when my duty was as plain as a b c and there wasn't anything to gain by talking it over but it made me all the more determined that ben should have his chance and when i heard about those great full-grown men and women who never had been to school it kind of choked me mother here felt it too felt it more than i did i dare say because she was a scholar and had not only been to school a good deal but she had taught school for three winters i don't know as you knew that pastor mr ransom paused to give the wonderful words time to be absorbed and looked impressively at the minister but his wife made haste to say a vivid color in her cheeks the while oh never mind that david that was long ago and i wasn't much of a teacher anyway the neighborhood didn't think so said david ransom impressively they tell yet about how you managed some of the bad boys the minister felt a warm glow of satisfaction over the words he was about to speak oh yes he said heartily i know all about mrs ransom's school only yesterday i met one of farmer patterson's sons on his way to new york he's a teacher you know in the east and he told me that his first interest in mathematics of which he is now a most successful teacher was awakened in the old weather-beaten schoolhouse in the butler district when mrs ransom was teaching there she is the best teacher i ever had he said emphatically and you know he is a college-bred man there said david ransom bringing his strong fist down with emphasis on his knee while his whole face glowed with delight hear that will you what did i tell you mother go on with your story david said mrs ransom with an apologetic little laugh her face bright the while it was pleasant to her to hear words of praise from her husband's lips oh the story why there wasn't much of a story not that i can tell 
if you could have heard some of hers. I agreed with mother that girls ought to have chances as well as boys. We had both said a hundred times that if Providence should ever give us a little girl, she would have just exactly as good a chance in the world as our little boy, if Providence should ever give us a little boy. I suppose it was feeling like this that made the stories take such powerful hold of us. They had to keep turning the young folks off that wanted to learn, because they hadn't money enough to feed them. And she told about one girl named Priscilla, who walked seventeen miles over the mountains to get to the school, and who said she could live on two cornmeal cakes a day, just little cakes made of meal and water, if they would only let her stay and learn, and they couldn't do it, and she sat down flat on the ground and cried like a baby when they told her. That took us hard. It was, evidently, still taking him hard. He drew out his handkerchief and blew a stormy blast on his nose, and his voice was husky. You see, Pastor, Priscilla was my mother's name, and my wife and I had agreed that if Providence ever gave us a little girl, she was to be named Priscilla, for mother. I suppose it will sound kind of foolish to you, but I couldn't get away from the notion that that was our little Priscilla sitting there on the ground crying. Then there was another queer thing about it. Somebody asked her what it cost to keep a girl in school for a whole year, and she said thirty dollars would do it. Thirty dollars, says I over to myself, and I looked at mother and saw she was saying the same identical thing I was, that if thirty dollars could give her a year's schooling, fifteen would give half a year, and we had fifteen dollars tied up in a stocking foot to go for a watch, and our little Priscilla sitting there on the ground crying. Could we stand that, Pastor? We never said a word about it there, not a word. But that night, when we was driving home, mother, she up and says the strangest thing. Sometimes, says she, I can't help feeling sorry that we didn't divide that thank-offering of ours between home and foreign, and had your mother more counted in. Now, wasn't that strange, when I had had just the same feelings, and we'd never either of us said a word? I call that a providence. Isn't it, Pastor? The minister bowed, hearty interest and sympathy glowing on his expressive face, and David went on. I says to her then, maybe that little Priscilla, and I didn't get any farther, I kind of choked all up, and I see there wasn't much need for words, because mother understood. You're right, I says to her, just as you always are. We can wait for our watch a great deal better than Priscilla can for her school. She shall have six months of it anyhow, and she's a smart little thing, and can learn a good bit in that time. Don't let's have her wait another day. And we didn't. He puts it on to me, said the smiling wife, but he did it himself. That makes two capital stories, said the minister. But you said there were dozens of them. Give us one more. David Ransom looked with tender eyes upon his wife, then turned to the minister with a broad smile on his rugged face as he arose slowly from his chair and straightened his great length toward the low ceiling. "'I've reckon I've told stories enough,' he said. 
it is time to pop some corn now i don't deny that there are more stories about that curious watch of mine lots of em some of em we don't tell even to our pastor do we mother it has had an eventful life that watch has a roving kind of a one you may say but i reckon it is coming home this time i ain't hardly lifted a finger about it either mother and the three speckled hens and the yellow duck have had it all about their own way watches have gone up too they tell me it will take every cent of seventeen dollars this time they say to get one but mother has counted it out in hard cash and if you come in to-morrow evening i guess you'll hear father's watch ticking next my heart the minister drew his own watch at the moment and rose hastily he had not realized the lateness of the hour he could not wait for popcorn this time he told them he ought to be at home that moment and they should be in bed getting strength for the eventful to-morrow he was certainly coming out in the evening to see the watch mrs ransom had finished the patching and she too arose and held out her toil-roughened hand toward the minister looking with eyes that were almost pathetically anxious into his sympathetic ones it doesn't seem as though there could be a slip this time she said father has been near it so many times and missed it that i am afraid i'm getting superstitious seems as though i couldn't have it miss again a watch kind of belongs to a man i think and then being it was his father's gift of course that makes us set great store by it i don't know but it will seem queer to you but if you don't think it would be wrong to pray about a thing like that i feel as though i'd like real well to have you i shall certainly pray about it said the minister heartily there is nothing in the least queer in doing so i will ask the lord to prosper your husband every step of his way and give him just the help he needs to accomplish that which will be in every way best for him and for you as the minister mounted his horse that night and rode away in the darkness toward the village he felt that he had just parted company with two of the choicest souls he had ever known and that the providence on whom they reverently depended must have very gracious things yet in store for such as these and that he would pray in faith he rode slowly though the night was cold the road was not at its best and he allowed his horse to pick his way and choose his own gait while he gave himself up to the luxury of melancholy why shouldn't he allow himself some lonesome thoughts in view of the fact that in three more weeks he should be parted for ever in all probability from these two royal souls whom he had found or rather who had found him during those early weeks of prostration and foreboding and had helped him back to health and strength partly through the tonic of their own simple trustful living he had come to them worn out bodily and mentally with a feeling that his life work was done and that it had not been worth the doing now after eight months he was going back to his work with every nerve in his body thrilling with renewed strength and vigor and with a firm belief that he was better able to cope with the problems of his work than ever before and he knew that those two simple-hearted people had helped him mightily 
but how sorely he should miss them it came to him that evening with renewed force the strangeness of it that he a middle-aged man minister of the gospel and pastor of one of the leading churches of an eastern city with hosts of friends and literally hundreds of beautiful homes glad to welcome him should look upon that plain low-ceilinged living-room with its wide-mouthed fireplace and its old-fashioned high-backed wooden rockers as the homiest place this side of heaven what a strange thing it was that he ray prescott forty years old should have no home ties there had been a home once and a wife of his youth but it was twelve years since he had laid her away in the grave and their life together had been so brief scarcely five months and then twelve lonely years he had not thought that it would be so there had been another a friend of his maturer years of whom he had been sure that god meant for them to do his work together but when he spoke of it to her with a confidence the memory of which made his face flush even now she had seemed almost insulted at the thought that was years ago and he had never seen her since and had never married he settled it after that experience that love and home and ties such as bound other men were not for him and he gave himself to his work with such entire abandonment that the result after a few years was so complete a breakdown as to afford small hope of recovery yet here he was well and strong and his church waiting for him it seemed too bad to go back to that loyal loving church with the thought in his heart that he was leaving his best friends behind in the little farmhouse but he knew that he should miss them as he had missed few others ah oh, well he said at last rousing from his reverie and talking to his horse as he had a habit of doing never mind selim even though you and i must part too good friend we have three pleasant weeks together yet and we won't borrow loneliness we must quicken our pace selim mrs scott doesn't approve of these late hours for you and me as a matter of fact the parting was at the door the minister found awaiting him a telegram that sent him at hurried packing and in the gray of the next early morning the eastbound train carried him away so little do we know about our everyday affairs for which nevertheless we plan as though we were sure of carrying out our designs end of chapter ten